Well, good morning and welcome to Santa Cruz Baptist Church. Today, we are going to be back in the book of Mark in chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up there. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. We are family. I've got all my sisters with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. We are family. I've got all my sisters with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. Everyone can see we're together as we walk on by. And we fly just like birds of a feather. I won't tell no lie. All of the people around us, they say, can they be that close? Just let me state for the record, we're giving love in a family dose. We are family. Hey, y'all, I got all my sisters with me. We are family. Get up, everybody, and sing. Great philosophical words from Sister Sledge. Fantastic bass line on that song, too. No, this sermon isn't about 70s or 80s music, or even bass lines for that matter, but it is about family. What does Jesus have to say about family? And how does he define it? As we dive into the text today, I want you to imagine with me for a moment the setting. Jesus is in a house back in Capernaum. Most believe that it was Peter's house. The same house that he was in when he healed Peter's mother-in-law in chapter 1. Because he's done so many miracles in this city, uh, there's a massive crowd around him. I remember the last time we saw that, that Jesus was in this house, in chapter 2. Uh, it was reported that he was home, and surprise, surprise, a crowd gathered. He was in this house preaching the word to them when some guys dug a hole through the roof and lowered down a paralytic. Uh, he healed the man and told him that his sins were forgiven. Same house here in chapter 3 today. And another large crowd. So Jesus has been to the beach. He's been up on a mountain. He's chosen the twelve. And verses 20 and 21 from last week say this. Then he went home, meaning Capernaum, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. Then uh, the text does kind of a, a split-screen type of deal, which we saw last week, with the, the scribes saying that Jesus is possessed by Satan. Then uh, verse 31 pulls down the split-screen, and returns to the scene that it left off in verses 20 and 21. So, if you can imagine it, Jesus is in Peter's house. Maybe the, the roof's been patched up since the last time he was there. There's a standing room only crowd. 
There's a buzz in the air because Jesus is present. Let's dive into the text today with all of that in mind. Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. In today's text, I want us to see two truths that Jesus models to us in his handling of this situation. So, number one, a challenge, and number two, an encouragement. So, point one, a challenge. So, Jesus is in this crowded house teaching, and you can almost feel the awkwardness there. Jesus' mother and brothers come. The message starts moving through the crowd like a, a game of telephone almost. Jesus, your mom's here. But, but before we get to, to Jesus' response, I just want to make a brief comment about Jesus' family. Right here we see Jesus' mother, Mary, and his brothers, the text tells us. First, where's Joseph? Well, most scholars believe that Joseph died before Jesus' public ministry even started. So he, he's not there, and we don't see him in the rest of Jesus' life, life for that matter. But who is there with Mary? The text says, his brothers. So Jesus has a family. Uh, that might not seem like, a, or it might seem like a trivial point for me to bring up because it seems pretty clear. But if you study church history, you'll find out that this actually is controversial, at least for some. Uh, the, the Council of Constantinople in, in 381 put forth this obscure idea known as the perpetual virginity of Mary which was then codified as Catholic doctrine in the Lateran Council of the 7th century. Basically, this is the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that says that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after Jesus' birth. Well, the New Testament is clear on Jesus' virgin birth, but teaches no such thing afterward. In fact, a clear reading of the text suggests otherwise. Our text here says that Jesus' brothers were there. Later on, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus is in his hometown teaching, and this is the local response to that. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. They say, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So Jesus has brothers and sisters, six of them. So he grew up in a family of at least nine. I bring this up because I want you to know that Jesus' challenge here in the text carries weight. 
He knew what it was like to be part of a family. He knew what it was like to relate to family. I also bring this up because I want you to know that Jesus can relate to you as a high priest. He has experienced what it's like to live in a family, even experiencing family tensions as we see in this text. His family doesn't believe him and thinks he's out of his mind. If you're in a family and it's not all daisies and roses, Jesus understands you. He can empathize with you as a high priest. So his family shows up to take him away because they think he's out of his mind. The message gets to Jesus. Your family's here, Jesus. What's his response? Verse 33. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? With no context and no other Bible passages, this can seem cold and maybe even a little rude. Especially in in Middle Eastern culture where family is everything. But I want to make sure we don't misunderstand Jesus here. Jesus loves and respects his mother and his brothers. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 51, after Jesus teaches in the temple as a boy, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, meaning his parents. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. At the end of Jesus' life, from the cross, Jesus is taking care of his mother, we see. John chapter 19 Verses 25 through 27, it says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So what I'm wanting us to see is that Jesus isn't indifferent to his family. He's not cold or rude or disobedient in any way here. What he's getting at here in the text is this. Family is not his highest priority. He's made this clear from the beginning. A couple verses before the one that we just read about Mary treasuring these things in her heart. Jesus got separated from his parents intentionally. He's back in the temple teaching and his parents are frantically looking for him as all of us would. And here's what he says, uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 48 through 49. It says, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Jesus' highest priority was doing the will of his father in heaven. His warning to his family and those who heard him And to us this morning is this. Don't make family 
an idol. An idol is anything that takes the proper place of God. Understand this. Family is a good gift from God, but it can easily become an idol. When our kids' sports become more prevalent in our schedules than our souls, in our relationships with the body of Christ. When we refuse to be in regular communion with the church because we need family time. When we won't have a college student over for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner because holidays are for family. I could keep going on. Family has become one of the most acceptable forms of idolatry within Christianity. A commitment to family cannot come before a commitment to God. That's what I think Jesus is getting at here. Kevin DeYoung has noted that there seems to be two competing views of family in our culture today. One, family as a straitjacket, and the other, family as center. In other words, some see the nuclear family kind of keeping you from everything you really want. Straitjacket. Others see family as giving you everything you really want. Family as center. What I want us to see in the text here is that Jesus isn't on board with either view. Look, the Bible teaches that the family is good and even foundational but not ultimate. Husbands, I want every single one of you to be a family man. Be committed to leading your families well, but don't make them an idol. In fact, when you do that, you're leading them in the wrong direction and actually to their detriment. You set the tone here. When you prioritize God as ultimate, your family will be better for it. Understand this. None of us can love our spouses the way they ought to be loved. But Christ can. Even more, 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. Jesus is the source of our love for our families. The family is good, but not ultimate. Look what Jesus says explicitly in Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. He says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's a lot more going on in the context of that passage, but his point is the same. We serve our families well by not making them ultimate. That's Jesus' challenge to us. But, as he always does, he follows it with point two, encouragement. Point two, an encouragement. Look with me in the text at verses 34 and 35. It says, And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my, mo- my brother and my sister and mother. So, do you see what Jesus is doing here? 
Jesus is making a new family, not defined by blood, but by obedience to God's will. There's a couple of core truths here and some amazing implications. First, why can Jesus call the people around him his family? Well, because he knew the truth that Paul would later proclaim in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit, the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you are a Christian, you are a child of God. You can call him Abba, Father. This is what the gospel does. Jesus came to this earth as our representative, lived a perfect life, died in our place so that we could have eternal life and be called children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. If you are God's child, and I am God's child, guess what? That makes me your brother, and you my sister or brother. That makes us brothers and sisters of Jesus, too. But look at this glorious truth in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It says, For he who sanctifies, that means Jesus, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. If you're in Christ, you're part of a new family. A family that's eternal, not just a family that's here on earth. This eternal family, the church, known as the household of God throughout Scripture, is a distinct society, more important and more precious than the Elks Lodge or a fraternity or a sorority or even your blood relatives. Think about that. Throughout history and even today, Many people have followed Jesus at the cost of losing their relationships with their families. Look at what Jesus says in response to Peter. Later on in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. I want to speak directly to two different kinds of people right now. First, if if you've decided to follow Jesus and, and you're being persecuted by your family for it, Jesus wants you to know that He's created a new family for you in the people of God. A people who love you and care for you deeply. A people who certainly aren't perfect, but are true and eternal family. The second person I want to encourage is the person who maybe comes from a tough family. Maybe home isn't a great place for you. You've never known what it's like to have a good mom and a good dad, good brothers and good sisters. Jesus wants you to know that He's created a new family for you in the people of God, the church. There are no orphans in the family of God. If you're a Christian, if you've turned from sin and trusted in Christ, You are a member of the family of God. So, what does this even mean? It means that that we know each other and that we care for each other. If my son Cruz was missing at the dinner table, first and foremost, I would know it. Second, I wouldn't ignore it. I'd go out and find him and make sure that he's okay. Out of love and concern for him, I'd want to check in and see where he is. Well, the same is true for the family of God. Is anyone missing? Do you care? Is your concern for them the same as your concern for your blood relatives? Is one of your brothers or sisters in Christ in need? Out of love and concern for them, do you see it as your responsibility to meet that need? If if Ruby, my daughter, is hungry, Shannon and I make sure that she has food. To not do so would be unloving and neglect. Well, the same is true for the family of God. Galatians 6.10 It says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The the truth that the church is the family of God has so many different implications. If I'm driving in the car, and I don't like the music that, that Shannon or the kids are playing, I don't just get to say, I'm done. I'm I'm gonna go look for a new family. (laughs) That'd be ludicrous. But people do this with church all the time, don't they? I don't like the music here. I have my preferences and I'm gonna go to another church to make sure that I get what I want. You don't bail on family over preferences. Now, Caveat, there are good and completely biblical reasons to leave a church. If they're not preaching the gospel, 
you should leave. Maybe there's a gospel-preaching church much closer to your house. Completely acceptable. That's not what I'm picking at here. What I'm saying is, if the church is a family, there's a different attitude and a different posture and loyalty that you have. One more. And I want to expand this out a little bit more from the local church to the universal church or all Christians in all places. If, if following Jesus makes you a child of God, then all true Christians in the world and in our city are brothers and sisters. How do you talk about your brothers and sisters? On Twitter and in town. They're your brothers and sisters and mothers. They're mine too. If you're speaking negatively about my kids or my brother or my mom, you're offending me. Do we think like this? And how we talk about other Christians and other churches. Now, Again, just to, to caveat this a little bit, there are very valid reasons to disagree with a brother or sister in Christ. We see Paul and Peter doing this in Galatians, when the gospel was at stake. But don't forget that true followers of Christ are your family. Jesus' point here is this. There's a special bond created by following Jesus. A bond that's thicker than blood. A bond that's eternal. So, what about you today? I want to encourage you just to write these questions down as they're put up on the screen. Uh, spend some time this week praying and reflecting on these questions. Ask them honestly of yourself. Number one. Am I a child of God? Am I a child of God? This is the most important question that you could ever answer. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. But the good news is this, that Christ died for sinners. For those who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus as their only hope of salvation, you are a child of God. If you've never made that decision, we invite you to today. Turn from sin and trust in Jesus. Become part of the family. So number one, am I a child of God? Write that down. Take time to consider that this week. Number two, have I made a good thing, my family, an ultimate thing? What needs to change? Husbands and fathers, where do I need to lead my family in this? Number two. Number three, where do I need to serve my brothers and sisters as part of the family of God? Number four, where do I need to repent of how I've treated or talked about my brothers and sisters? And number five, where do I need to lean into the church as my family and allow my brothers and sisters to care for me?
Take time this week to really consider those five questions. Honestly, ask them of your heart. Take time to prayerfully think through them. Jesus teaches us two important truths in this text. Number one, that family is not ultimate. And number two, that he's given us a new family in the people of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and what you've given us in yourself. Lord, we also thank you for your word. Your word often exposes our own hearts and the idolatries that are there. So, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us this week through your word and through your spirit. That you would allow us to see any idolatry that's in our own hearts. Help us to be quick to repent and to turn back to you. Lord, I pray that we would also be encouraged by what it means for the church and the people of God to be family, to be true and eternal brothers and sisters. Lord, that is a gift, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the people of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.